is the Business of Reselling podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Oman. Everybody, it's uh, time for episode 26. I'm a couple of days late on this one. Sorry about that. Um, I've been working on this episode for a while, and it's got some cool stories in it from some other resellers. So I'm looking forward to sharing those with you. Before we get into that, however, I was thinking about, I'm still thinking about my last episode, which was on um, bookkeeping and taxes and how I organize things. And um, there were a lot of questions from Canadian resellers on my methods, and I was so glad to read them. I tried to answer them the best that I could, but what kept happening to me is I was questioning my own methods and my own approach and the way that I've explained and justified uh, my inventory and expense tracking and cost of goods sold tracking um, over the years. And it was like, man, these are really good questions. Like, is what I'm doing correct? Is it acceptable? Um, you know, and I'm just freaking out. So. I, uh, I've done my best to answer the questions on the YouTube channel that were left, and I appreciate them so much. And if there are more, I hope that you will leave them. Um, but I'm actually going to talk to a friend of mine. I haven't seen her in a while, but I'm probably going to see her pretty soon, who's a CPA. And I just want to make sure before I uh, completely open the lid on exactly how um, we count and control inventory, I want to make sure that it is compliant as far as um, generally accepted accounting principles or the other one that's accepted in Canada, which now the acronym is escaping me, IFRP, I think it is. Anyway, I just want to make sure that I'm right. I, I think that I am. Um, but I want to get an expert opinion, and then I'm going to follow up on that, uh, probably on that episode itself on YouTube, and maybe even in a future episode. But uh, anyway, your questions actually helped me a lot too, and I'm so grateful to be getting that kind of feedback and these types of questions that really have make you thinking and force me to dive deep into some of um, the things that we face in our business as resellers. It all helps us make our little companies better and helps me put a new perspective on my own business too. So like we can all learn from each other. I absolutely love it. Um, but I just wanted to say for those of you who are listening and watch that or listen to that episode and may still have some questions, um, I want to continue to follow up on that and make sure that everybody has a confident method going forward. So stay tuned for more of that stuff. Love it. Uh, so today's episode is all about reseller stigma and dealing with haters. So we've all dealt with people who don't like what we do for any number of reasons. And what kind of inspired me to do this episode was um, posts I've seen from resellers who get uh, discouraged really early in their business because they get some negative feedback or um, they go to a thrift shop and they're perceived poorly because they're resellers. Um, and it kind of makes them question like, what they should be doing or um, question their confidence in growing their business. And, and I think about that stuff and I want to kind of like take away some of that fear um, and, and help people build the confidence to go and scale up their businesses and become more visible. Um, so I wanted to do this episode about like, about those kinds of experiences. Um, so some resellers, they like to criticize other resellers because they think like their business, uh, their method of doing business is better. Um, there are still other people who think that resellers who get cheap items at thrift shops or yard sales and profiting off of them are somehow stealing from the poor or profiting off of a nonprofit um, and make that argument. And still other people just don't understand or believe that 
doing what we do is an actual living and can be an actual lucrative living. Um, or they feel like there should be some sort of cap on your profits. Like you can be profitable, but not too profitable. And of course, nobody knows what that threshold should be. Um, so, you know, if you've been in the reselling uh, business for a while, you can probably think of uh, one or two stories about this kind of thing right off the top of your head. Um, now, most of the people, or most of the time, I think people honestly love what we do. And and actually, when I asked, I asked in a Facebook group for some stories to contribute to this episode, and I got some great ones, which I'm going to share with you. Um, but what was awesome was how many comments on that post were, hey, you know what, this has never happened to me, or, you know, I've only experienced positive vibes. And I was so pleased to read comments like that. And And I think it is true, like, most people we talk to about reselling are really interested in our stories. They love hearing about storage locker buying, um, finding gold in the garbage, like things that we found in back alleys and sold for hundreds of dollars. They like those kinds of stories. They're curious about the process. Maybe they're even a little bit envious of the lifestyle. Um, but for these same exact reasons, there are people who want to cast a negative shadow on reselling. And the reasons why they do that usually come from within themselves and have nothing to do with who we are as people or what our businesses are. However, negative experiences tend to stick with us. There's a lot of psychology behind that idea. And so I thought this episode might be interesting to explore some of the bad things that can happen in reselling um, and just how to stay focused and positive even when people react negatively. Um, I don't want any of these stories to turn people away from reselling. I hope that they will actually be kind of light and funny um, and maybe make you think about how to deal with these situations if they do come up for you. So I will talk about what is what the stigma is that's associated with reselling um, from our own experience, um, build in a little bit of psychology research um, to sort of explain why it exists and where it comes from. So we'll get to that. But first, I want to tell a couple of stories. So like I said, I did ask in a Facebook group for some uh, stories to include on this episode. I have two that I'm gonna share anonymously and one um, who, person who is willing to identify themselves, uh, which is super cool and I love this story. So I'm gonna share three of them for you. And I'm just going to um, read them off. I've sort of uh, maybe cut some of the words out for a little bit of brevity and clarity. Otherwise, these are absolutely verbatim stories. So the first poster didn't say if they wanted to remain anonymous or not. So I'm just going to leave them anonymous, but they wrote, and I quote, early in my selling career, I found a license plate purse at a thrift store. It was behind the counter and I asked the volunteer to show it to me, which they did. He said straight out, are you going to resell this? And me being naive, I said, oh, yes. He asked me how much I could get. I told him about $35. He then refused to sell it to me. He said it was not fair that I resell it and make more money. And he was going to see if the manager would raise the price. He called the manager and the manager said, sell it at the price it's listed. The guy then continued to yell very loudly from the counter at me saying that it's people like me who are ruining this for people who really need these items. It was a stinking license plate purse. I highly doubt that anybody who is in desperate need of a purse would purchase that. I learned my lesson though and from that point forward, uh, everything I buy at thrift stores, I tell the volunteers when asked that is for my niece or nephew, myself or my spouse. So um, I've read a lot of stories like this. Um, people go to thrift stores or something's not priced and then the clerk suspects that they're a reseller and like raises the price or it won't sell it to them. These things do happen. It also reminds me of uh, interactions that we've had with junk haulers. So occasionally we will get access to a junk hauling truck before it goes to the dump. Now, 
the whole job of a junk hauler is to throw things away. It's literally like, that's why they call it junk hauling. Um, but a few times we've been able to pick their trucks uh, before they dump, but all of a sudden the thing that they were about to trash suddenly becomes valuable to them because we wanted it. So, um, you know, that's happened to us with, uh, there was one guy who was hauling everything out of a house for the trash. We picked a bunch of things out of there and, and he knew we were, we were resellers. I mean, there was no secret to that, but we grabbed a couple of vintage bikes. And when we were negotiating the price on the bundle of everything, you know, um, uh, Johan said, you know, I can maybe get 200 each for those bikes. And the guy's like, oh, if you can only get 200 each for them, you're, you're doing it wrong. I can get $500 each for those bikes. And it's like, well, you just sold them to us for like $10. So I don't know how true that is. <laughs> but um, all of a sudden, because we wanted that thing, it was like, oh, but I I know that it's worth this much and, and maybe I'm going to keep it. And we've had junk haulers take things back because that they were literally about to throw in the trash because they're like, oh, well, if you want it, then there must be value to it. And I don't like that. So I'm going to keep it for myself. Um, and there's, yeah, there's so many other stories like that. So it's definitely legit. And I understand the reasoning why somebody would decide after an experience like that to keep your reselling business to yourself. I do want to say, however, that it will limit you if you ever try to scale. Because in order to get access to big bulk buys, which you have to do, go listen to my episode on bulk buys if you want to hear about why and how that works. Um, to scale up, you need to buy in bulk. And in order to buy in bulk, you have to be transparent about what you're doing. You need to network, you need to make connections, and it's important to do that honestly so that people um, know exactly when they should be reaching out to you to make a deal on something. Um, so, But I get it. If you're selling on a small scale or maybe in a small community and you'd rather just you know, keep it to yourself to avoid these situations. Um, for me, I'm not afraid of conflict like whatsoever. And I welcome those kinds of interactions more easily than I used to because I'm really confident in what we do and confident that we do it with integrity. So um, I personally wouldn't use that tactic, but I understand the reasoning um, that some people have to do that. Now, another uh, anonymous story. Um, this person wrote, and I quote again, I went to a community sale with my granny and we found quite a few things at this one lady's place, things for ourselves, things for our booth, whatever. She was one that did not have anything priced. A woman that did not like my granny saw us there and then went and told the owner that we were dealers. Next thing we know, the owner is screaming and yelling at us, accusing us of ripping her off, yelling that we damn well better be plan planning on paying at least $75 for the stuff we have collected. Our final total actually wound up being over 100. When we were boxing up our items, she was screaming and yelling the whole time, calling us names, calling me a fat bitch, saying that if we didn't hurry up, she was going to call the law on us. I told her if she would quit running her mouth and help me pack, I would be off her property faster. <laughs> Some people simply should not be allowed to interact with other humans, <laughs> end quote. This is a pretty extreme one. Um, this person was clearly displaying a lot of anger. And the only thing I can think is that it's maybe a form of jealousy. Like if this person didn't have anything in their booth and nothing was priced, there's a couple, could be a couple of things going on here and I'm absolutely speculating, but it could be um, she's not pricing anything because she finds research overwhelming or maybe she doesn't have time to do that for whatever reason. Maybe sales in that particular antique mall are not 
good, not strong, and it doesn't get a lot of visitors. So she's frustrated that she's not making more money um, and isn't willing to take the leap to other ways of reselling. Um, so those people can sometimes project, and I'm going to talk about projection again, project their anger and their frustration on other people um, in this manner because they can't um, find a way to uh, evolve and change the way that they're thinking about their own reselling business to make theirs better. So the third story, um, and this is Joseph of Hubcap Joe. So Joseph was uh, graciously agreeing to allow me to identify him in this story. So if you want to check out uh, hubcapjoe.com, um, you might guess that Joe deals in eBay Motors, uh, parts and supplies, and also runs uh, some brick and mortar business. So here's Joe's story. He says, I noticed years ago that a certain generation Chrysler New Yorker that had defective hubcaps that would break and consequently people would come into my store and buy them from me. I figured out a way to improve on the original design because the way it was made from the factory, the outside face would separate from the retaining ring, rendering it useless because Chrysler used plastic rivets. My improvement was to silicone the back section to the front section. And this was such a good design that nobody ever had a problem. When a person would come to buy one, they were missing the fascia of the hubcap, but usually the back plate was still attached to the wheel. So when I would make the sale, I would take the back plate for future use. Uh, and he says, there was this middle-aged lawyer who drove a Chrysler New Yorker and bought a lot of these hubcaps from me and was a really nice guy. One day he happened to come in with his son. I could tell that the son did not like me for whatever reason, but no big deal. A few months later, the lawyer called me back and told me he wanted to buy another hubcap and he would send his son down to make the purchase. The son arrived and I removed the backing plate from his wheel and installed my new wheel cover. All of a sudden, I heard a crashing sound and it was the son smashing the back plate so that I could not use it to rebuild another hubcap. He said something like, I don't like the idea of you making money on people by reselling their old hubcap. I was really taken aback by this and it's something that's always stayed in my mind. So kind of a similar story to the one about the lady with the with the booth in that this person was just so upset for reasons we cannot explain um that joseph had found a pretty cool innovation um and was profiting from it and just really didn't like that idea so let's talk for a few minutes about why people act this way now if it hasn't happened to you in reselling congratulations i think that it will even if you've been in reselling for 10 15 20 years something like this is i feel bound to happen at some point so let's talk about some of the reasons why people might react this way when they find out you're a reseller it could be envy or jealousy now, Lori Cure, I hope I pronounced that right, and I have linked this article in the show notes, wrote in the Society of Human Resources Management website that envy occurs when there's a perception of inequality or when people need a, uh, feel a need to compete for resources. Now, I can see this playing out so literally in reselling. Some resellers have a perception that they have to compete to get inventory when on like my opinion is that like there's enough junk out there for everybody. Like, yes, there's more resellers than there used to be. Man, there's so much junk, you guys, so much to go around. Um, so anyway, 
Other resellers feel like they have to compete, so they will talk you down and discourage people from selling to you. That has happened to us. We've heard through um, other connections that we have, people have said that, you know, poor things about us or about our business. And it's like, like I don't even know where that's grounded. <clears throat> Um, or people will talk down the items that you're interested in and then scoop them up for themselves, which has maybe happened to you. Like, oh, those diecast cars are all junk. Oh, I, you don't know much about diecast cars, do you? Oh, yeah, no, no, they're junk. Don't buy them. And then five minutes later, that person's walking away with them. <laughs> so this is the kind of um, action that can come out of envy or jealousy, especially amongst resellers and it's really sad because i think if we support each other like i said at the very beginning like a rising tide lifts all boats or whatever like if i'm going to be cheesy um resellers helping other resellers makes everybody's business stronger and i think it contributes to circular economy in a really important way there's no point to any of this envy or jealousy like while i understand why somebody might be envious if another reseller got a great deal on something it's like but they're also going to get a great deal. Like it ebbs and flows. Sometimes we get a fantastic deal. Sometimes somebody down the street gets a fantastic deal. And like, I think everybody wins. Like, I love that. Um, and, you know, maybe some people are jealous because they see you as more successful or maybe they think you make more money or whatever it is and they want to be there. Um, so they talk you down because it's like their way of bringing you down to their level instead of rising up to yours. So envy and jealousy is one explanation. Projection is another one. Now, projection is a term that was originally coined by Freud, um, and it means a tendency to reject what we don't like about ourselves. Uh, so there's a Psychology Today article that I'll link that um, you can go down a whole rabbit hole of learning all about projection from that. Um, projection is kind of a defense mechanism. So if I pretend that that thing you do is worse than the thing that I do, I'm not so bad and I don't have to change myself. So in the reselling world, this could manifest as a person who missed out on a chance to buy something good because you're the one who got that deal and they tell you that you made a stupid decision and those things are worthless and you wasted your money. Um, people have told us who know that we sell comic books <clears throat> in, a, in a big way, um, that comic books are a waste of time, that they're almost all worthless. It's like, yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> um, or that we don't know enough about them to resell them well, despite the fact that they are the most profitable niche we have. Like one thing that I kind of laugh about is that we don't really know our modern comic books, like in the world of books from like the 1995 to the present, like other than a few key books um, I know to look for, it's the modern books are definitely not our area of expertise. So, uh, and that's fine, but people know that. And sometimes they're like, oh, you know, maybe you should learn more. And it's like, huh. You know, I don't have to know everything um, to do well in this niche. Um, maybe in reality, they um, they know more about modern comic books, but not as much as we know about Silver Age or Bronze Age. Like, I don't know. Or maybe they wish they got to some collection before we did or like whatever it is. Um, so they use these negative comments and this negative energy to like, you know, because they don't feel, I guess, good enough about themselves or their own level of success or something else about them. And so they project that onto you. So to me, that's kind of closely related to jealousy and envy because like we're only jealous of other people when we're not satisfied with ourselves, right? That's where those kinds of emotions come from. So there's envy and jealousy and there's projection, but I think a lot of it comes down to fear, whether that's fear of success, 
fear of taking the risks that we have to become entrepreneurs, to scale and grow our business. I would, I mean, I'm kind of proud that we went and spent $12,000 on Barbies and toys when we didn't really know much about Barbie dolls. Like that was a risky move. And it was one that we were pretty sure was going to pay off because we know how to hustle. We're smart and we know that vintage Barbie dolls can be worth a lot of money, but it's, it's been hard. Um, and it was a real tough learning experience. And, um, and, and I'm proud of that. And I think other people might, might not be, or they would say that that's too risky or we shouldn't have done it or whatever. So like maybe, or maybe that's because they're afraid of doing something similar. Um, it is easy to be afraid of leaving your comfort zone. Um, listen to episode 24, my episode on limiting beliefs, if you want to explore that a little bit further. Um, but, you know, for example, we we recently bought some vintage bikes off of somebody who was pretty nervous to sell them, um, which I like, I understand. I understand when people are reluctant to sell things. I mean, maybe she was afraid to get ripped off. Maybe she was emotionally attached to them. Like, I'm not really sure. Um, we I, we feel like we paid up for them. We bought them at a fair price because we knew we'd have to spend hundreds of dollars and we have spent hundreds of dollars fixing them up and getting them ready for sale. And so far, it's been like uh, about two months since we bought them. We haven't sold any yet. Um, but the evening that we bought them, I got angry text messages accusing us of taking the bikes from them um, and they demanded their immediate return. Um, you know, and when when we left that property, I felt like, everybody was satisfied. Like I really felt like it was a win-win. We had taken, uh, you know, a small but significant financial risk on these bicycles, knowing that we'd have to put a lot into them and felt like we paid a fair price for the condition that they were in. I don't think that they could have got more from anybody else. Like I really, really don't. Um, and, and they knew we were reselling and they knew we were going to profit off them. But over the course of the rest of the day, I guess they worked themselves up to think that we would profit a lot more and then that upset them. So maybe, you know, this is like one of those situations where people are like, oh, it's okay if you profit, but we don't want you to profit too much because that would be, I don't know, like, I don't know, just don't be gratuitous or whatever. Like, I don't understand why there has to be a limit on, on profit. I can't even count how many times we have found solid gold in people's trash, you know? Profit is absolutely everywhere, but if you find it, sometimes it makes people angry that they didn't or couldn't find it themselves. And I think that that comes from, from, from fear of whatever could be a whole range of things. But, um, you know, I think, I think we all live with some degree of fear and, and, and that can manifest itself in situations like this. So, there could be lots of reasons that these things happen, but the important thing to remember is that first of all, these situations will come up, especially as you scale and become more visible because the more visible you get, the more criticism you're likely to face. Um, and the more visible that criticism becomes. And second, every time these situations come out of another person's fear, envy, or jealousy, these are feelings that only that person can control or decide to do something about, and it has nothing to do with you as long as you're showing up with integrity every single day in your business. So these kinds of things, while they can be really scary for newer resellers, they're really only a problem if we let them be a problem. If somebody doesn't like the way you're running your business, um, the way you talk about your business or what you're doing, sometimes it's a sign that you're actually doing something right. You're being disruptive, you're doing things differently, you're innovating, just like Hubcap Joe did. 
And that's really threatening to a lot of people. Um, but it's important to remember that those uh, those issues and those emotions and that negativity is coming from within that person. And, um, and you're okay as long as you're showing up and doing your best. Um, but it still affects us emotionally, even if we say that it doesn't. I can say that these things roll off my back, but honestly, like sometimes I do think about them at night. Um, negative comments tend to stick with us longer than positive ones, and hearing them can make us doubt ourselves or question um, whether what we're doing is the right thing. It's called negativity bias, um, and if you want to read more about that, I also have another article in the show notes, um, uh, Randy Larson talking about negativity bias, and there's some great links to more resources there. So call to action for today is I want to hear your story. Let's air it out. Get some of these hater, resellers, stigma stories out in the open. I would love it. So uh, youtube.com slash at Storage Warrior Podcast. Let's get these out in the open. Share your best hater story in the comments. Um, next episode, I'm taking another request, and I'm really excited about this one. Um, it's actually an idea that Johan came up with a few weeks ago, kind of, and then somebody else suggested it. Uh, so I was like, that's great. Um, I'm going to do it. Um, it's going to be about finding a new niche. So my point of view on selling in a particular niche and whether I feel it's better to sell whatever is profitable or stick to one niche. Uh, my MBA brain has so many opinions on this. Um, and I'm looking forward to exploring those with you next time. Um, some cool videos coming out. So make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube uh, channel. Again, youtube.com slash at storage warrior podcast. I have a uh, April month in review video to share with you. I have a video from uh, last weekend's massive warehouse clean out sale that we had, which was super fun and super exhausting. So I have a little montage of that for you. So some great content coming out, make sure you're subscribed and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.